0: Good morning, family church. Morning. Is that our prayer? All we have is Christ. Amen. I was, I was uh, going over the sermon with my son this morning. And when I was done, I asked him, and my son, by the way, is three. And when I was done, I said to him, What did you like the most out of the sermon, Lukey? And as I said that to him, I was thinking, Man, He's going to say, like, this Bible verse, or he's going to say this story. And he goes, Daddy, the part I like the most is when you talked about Thomas the Train. And I'm like, Thomas the Train, eh? Okay, great. So uh, just so everyone understands, my wife and I are both in the parenting class now for the core class to learn how to be better parents. But um, it was a pretty funny situation. But today, church, we are continuing our series in Philippians. And Casey gave us some great counsel last week from the letter of Philippians as his first point was for us to honor Christ regardless of how we feel. And what a hard truth for us to follow because often we react on our emotions. I was reminded of this again as I was working with my son, Lukey, we were playing. And out of the blue, he said, Oh my gosh! And it took me back for a second, but I decided to go talk to him about it. And I said, Lukey, we can't use words like that. That doesn't honor God. And he said, yes, sir, Daddy, I'm sorry. And then I went to my wife, and I asked her, I said, where is he hearing this type of language? And she was silent. She was being a good wife, being silent at that moment. And I kept pushing it. And I'm like, really, where is this coming from? And my mind started racing at all the places Lukey goes to, and she was still silent, and I was starting to get irritated. And then she finally said, he got it from you. <laughs> and I said, you as in who? Who's you? You're talking about me? And she said, yes, you, Terry, he hears it from. And I said, I was shocked. I said, when do I use that type of language? And she said, well, hon, often when you are upset, those words freely and generously flow out of your mouth. And I just was amazed, but often, church, our emotions still do control us, to the point sometimes that we don't even realize the words that come out of our mouths. But praise be to God, as Casey mentioned last week, that as we honor Christ, we can walk through those emotions and glorify God anyway. Amen? Amen? And today I want to start with a question. And I want you guys to tell me what words come to mind when you, think, when you hear these subjects. War, enemies, prison, and even to some extent marital discord. What words come to your mind when you hear those subjects? Conflict, conflict. yes, conflict. What else? Okay, yes, good. Okay, well, let me tell you some of the words that popped in my head. Pain, fear, confusion, division, strife, discord, fighting, suffering, judgment, assumptions, worry, hurts, depression, unforgiveness, rage, hate, and revenge. And we see often that this is a way of life in the world. But I am sad to say that often that is the way it is even amongst Christian circles, church. And I would say if we looked up close and personal at ourselves, we may see things like discord and division in our own lives, whether it's in our marriage or our families or in our friendships or even within our church circles. And I would ask you, church, how can we say we love Christ And hate our spouse. Or, that might be a little harsh. How can we say we love Christ and are at odds with our spouse? Church, the gospel calls us to unity. To be unified. Whether it's in our marriages, whether it's in our families, or whether it's in the church. God calls us to be a people who are unified in love. And the peace of God flows throughout our relationships. So in your handout, point number one, unity with others is a reflection of our faith in Christ. Let me say that again. Unity with others is a reflection of our faith in Christ. If I cannot get along or treat others lovingly, you can be sure I have a faith. Problem, not a communication issue. Or to say it another way, my love for God is practically lived out in my relationship with others. That is why Paul in Galatians five fourteen said the entire law is summed up in one single command: love your neighbor as yourself. Right. And let me ask you, church, if you're married, who is your closest neighbor? Your spouse, right? If, so if we look at how we treat or mistreat something, that speaks volumes about our relationship to Christ, church. So our fellowship or unity with others is an overflow of our fellowship in Christ. Let me say that one more time. Our fellowship or unity with others is an overflow of our relationship, faith in Christ. And today, where we'll be covering is Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. That's Philippians 1, verses 27 and 28. And before we will read this passage, I will pray. Holy Father, We praise you today. We give you all the glory and honor. And we do ask, Father, that our lives are consumed with your glory and that we are a people who are so focused on you, Father, that the love that we have for one another is revealed to all the world. Help us to be a church like that. Help us to be families and marriages like that. Father, we thank you for how gracious you are. As it was talked about in the songs that you have saved us from ourselves, and your grace has covered us, covered all our sin. We thank you for the relationship we have in you as you have saved us from your wrath. We praise you for that, Lord, and it's in Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. All right, we're in Philippians 1, 27 and 28, and it says this, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then whether I come see you or only hear about you in my absence, I know that you will stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. And in this section, Paul Senses. He changes subjects and he senses here that the Philippians are starting to unravel a little bit as Paul recognizes they are facing some persecution and Paul knows it's going to get a lot rougher and he's telling them, we have to focus on the gospel. And if we don't focus on the gospel, you guys will end up turning on each other because you'll start depending on yourselves. Let's look back at verse 27 again. It says, Whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And the first thing Paul does is he shows that if you're going to be unified, it has to be as you are focusing on the gospel. And you may be wondering, why is it that Paul is telling Christians to focus on the gospel? I mean, they've already been following Christ for some time now, and yet he tells them to focus on the gospel? But church, we have to remember that the gospel reminds us of who we are supposed to depend on for our strength. Paul recognized that if they weren't starting to depend on the gospel and started depending on their own strength, they would ca- it would cause more divisions in the Philippian church. Let me ask you a question. Did the Philippians deserve to be saved? Do we Deserve to be saved. Point number two. The gospel reminds us of God's grace. The gospel reminds us of God's grace. We must remember who we were. The fact that God saved us by his grace. What does grace mean, church? Unmerited favor, Unmerited favor Right? We were undeserving of his love and mercy. We were lost, dead in our sins, children of the devil. That's what Ephesians 2 tells us. Not only that, but if we look into Romans and we look in Colossians, we also will find out that we are in bondage to sin, enslaved to sin. The problem was we didn't sin a little bit. The problem was that's all we could do before we were Christians is sin, the Bible tells us. So the question shouldn't be, why doesn't God save everybody? The real question is, why does God save anybody at all? We didn't deserve to be saved, but God saved us in spite of who we were. His love was poured out in those of us who have followed him as Lord and Savior. Amen. This should, church, unify us, recognizing that it was out of God's sovereign love that he pulled us out of ourselves and poured his love on us. Not only that, but he brought us together in what is known as the local church, where we can love, support one another, as, as Mark Dever mentioned at the beginning. But not only does God save us, he gets the credit for continuing to keep us safe and continuing to grow us in the likeness of Christ. Paul's words should echo in the hearts and minds of the family church as it is said to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel church. Point number three. The gospel reminds us to continue to depend on Christ. Church, we don't start out and follow Christ in faith, and then we say, okay, God, we got it. Now we work ourselves and continue to save ourselves and keep ourselves growing in the word, right? That is why Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit or happy are those who recognize they are spiritually helpless, bankrupt, because those are the ones that are actually going to depend on me because they recognize they need to. But I'm sad to say all too often, church, we depend on ourselves even when we battle sin. For example, what do many of us say when we give in to a sin? I'm not going to do that again. Next time, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have a three, three things that's going to block me from that sin. I'm going to make sure I do this, and this is going to happen in my life. And guess who we're focusing on to stop sinning? Self. So, this prideful attitude shows that we depend on ourselves all too often. The old American model, we must pick ourselves up by our bootstraps, does not work, church, in the spiritual realm. It does not work. A proud heart is revealed when we think we can defeat sin in our own willpower. Not only that, but it lets us know we don't really understand the spiritual world around us, as if Satan or our flesh can be defeated in our own strength. That's why James says in 4.7, Submit yourselves then to God Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So James is saying here, submit to God or depend on God. And as we do that, the Holy Spirit will work in our hearts and he will be the one to help us resist the devil. And as we resist the devil, guess what? He flees from us because of the strength God is working inside of us by his spirit, church. This is a side note, but we got to stop being scared of the Holy Spirit. He is the power. God has given him into us. He is God, right? And as he is working in us, he is the one that changes us. But we don't even see this only self-prideful attitude within dealing with sin. We often see this in marriages. I have been blessed to do biblical counseling for some time now. And you wouldn't believe how many spouses come to me and say, Terry, I am so excited. My spouse has made it their focus, their target, their mission in life to fix me. (laughs) Okay, not so much, right? Not so much. Here, this church, it is not our job to change our spouses. We are not our spouse's Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen? And I will admit, I am the nag in my, spou- in, in, my, in my spouse, in my marriage. I am the one that struggles with nagging. So as I start talking about this changing your spouse thing and nagging, I am preaching to myself as well, church. But the Bible tells us that a nag is is like a dripping faucet. Other places the Bible says that it's it's better to live in a corner of a roof or to live in the desert than live with a nagging spouse, church. So again, I'm talking to myself here and everybody else who are nags in this, and nagging is sin. Nagging is clearly sin, church. The reason it is sinful is because we have stopped depending on Christ and we start working in our own strength. And if we just tell our spouse or our friend or our child one more time to do this one thing, they'll finally get it. We're working in our own strength. And I know some of you in here are thinking, well, when is it really considered nagging? Right? When is it really considered nagging? And I'll, it's, it's really easy. This is, this is great. Um, my rule is when you tell them once, when you tell them once clearly and they understand. After that, guess what it's called? Nagging. Nagging, nagging church. An attitude, and I bring this up because this is such an attitude. It's such a prideful attitude that we have within even our own marriages and church if we don't start dealing with ourselves whether it's in our marriages or in our families or it is a church in a whole we are not gonna be who call who paul who paul who god wants us to be we will struggle with things like division discord instead of being unified with one another Church, we find strength by recognizing we have none and turning to God in faith. Whether it is in our families, our marriages, our church, God is the one who changes us because if it's us that could change others, even ourselves, we would get the glory for it. God's not going to let us take the glory from himself. So he is the one who changes us from the inside out, church. And before we go forward, I want to ask you seven statements, and it's on your handout, and they're seven statements, and they all have to do with pride. And I got these seven statements by a biblical counselor named Stuart Scott, and he has this wonderful book called The Exemplary Husband, and he goes through ways that we struggle with pride. So I'm going to go through these with you and see if any of them apply to you. And here it says, you may be, number one, you may be a proud person if you complain against or pass judgment on God. A person, a proud person in a difficult situation says, look what God has done to me when all I have done for him. Number two, you may be a proud person if you lack gratitude. A proud person usually thinks they deserve or expect gratitude. Good from God, church. Number three, you may be a proud person if you see yourself as better than others. A great evidence of this is do you easily get disgusted with people? Are you easily impatient with people? Number four, you may be a proud person if you have an inflated view of your gifts and abilities. This person forgets that all their gifts and abilities come from who? God, right? They do not have any right to start thinking it's all about them because it's God that can take it away from them just like that. Number four, you may be a proud person if you are defensive and you blame shift. This person will often say things like, are you saying it's my fault? Or well, what about you? Number six, you may be a proud person if you lack praying. And this only makes sense, right? A person who's depending on themselves, guess what? They're not going to pray too often. Number seven, the last one, you may be a proud person if you lack admitting you are wrong. A proud person will say things like, I was just tired, or I'm just having a real bad day. That's why I said those things to you, or that's why I was wrong about that. And again, church, let me say that I am reading these to you in a way that I struggle with a lot of these statements too. I, again, am not preaching down to you. I'm also preaching to myself as These are real-life things that we struggle with, and one of them is pride in our lives. If we don't deal with the pride in our lives, it will affect our relationship to Christ. But more than that, it's rebellion against God. And let me say this, church. Pride is an epidemic among Christian churches in America. Pride is an epidemic among Christian churches in America as they do all these things and they think within themselves they're going to create something instead of depending on the one who will do what he wants with the church as they are faithfully walking with him. And similarly, church, Paul knew if the Philippians continued to grow in pride and depend on themselves, they would unravel and not stay unified as they were about to face intense persecutions. Well, let's continue on in verse 28. And it says this, Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for faith. Of the gospel. Point number four, church, standing firm on the gospel matures us. Standing firm on the gospel matures us. And you may be wondering how does the gospel actually grow us? Well, if the gospel is our foundation, And our gospel reminds us to depend on Christ. And through our circumstances and our struggles, we're looking to Christ as we are facing the storms of life. The Holy Spirit will change us as we are being faithful to God. And as the Philippians stood firm, contending for the gospel also, they would also continue to grow in what we know as the fruit of the Spirit. Are we familiar with the fruit of the Spirit, church? Galatians, right? Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Please turn your Bibles to Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Some of you may even have it memorized. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Church, these are the fruit the Holy Spirit can only give us as we trust in Him. The Holy Spirit turns a heart filled with fear to a heart that pours out love. The Holy Spirit turns an anxious spirit into and replaces it with a heart of peace. The Holy Spirit changes an undisciplined person into a person that's growing in self-control. The Holy Spirit changes, changes a wicked mind into someone who loves the truth. The Holy Spirit changes someone who continues to say harsh words to their spouse to someone who who shares kindness, gentleness, and love to their spouse. The Holy Spirit is the only one that can change us in these ways, church. Let me ask you a question. What would your life be like today if you had more joy? How, about, how would your relationships look like if you had more love for one another? Who is in need of some self-control? The gospel brings us as a church body into unity and changes us in every area of our lives because ultimately it's changing us, Church. We are the ones that are being re-sculpted for God's glory and honor. Are we as a church growing in the fruit of the Spirit? Is the fruit of the Spirit evident in your life today? Is it evident in my life today? Are you living a life worthy of the gospel as Paul reminds us? And as we close... I want to say that we must be a people who are consumed with the gospel. We have to be the ones within the church to depend on Christ. And as we do that, church, one of the evidences that we will continue to see growing in us is unity with each other, but not just with each other. And the church, like I've already said, it'll flow into our marriages, our families, our other relationships, church. And I do want to brag on you for one moment. I don't want everyone's head to get really big here, but I want to brag on the family church because we have been through some tough times. And through these tough times, God has used them to mold us and grow us closer together in the church as we have more people involved in core classes, more people that are excited about connect groups. We have so many people wanting to be involved in one-to-one discipleship. I don't even have enough disciples to disciple people who want to be discipled. Yes. Is that exciting? That's amazing, church. It is amazing what God is doing. But we need to continue to go forward and not get lax, church. But let's praise God all the way as we continue to go forward... As a church, and some of you may not know the Lord, or some of you may have questions. Others may have some issues, whether it's again in their marriages or struggling with some depression or whatnot. But here, this church, myself or Casey, we'd love to spend time with you and minister the word to you if you have some struggles or questions we would love to open up the book of life to you and help you with whatever you're struggling with don't go through life alone as lone rangers use the local church to grow in whatever you need here I will be up front after service pastor Casey will be in the back and if you decide man it's not gonna be enough time to sit down for 20 or 30 minutes after service We'll happily sit down with you and spend time with you in the word. We want to help you. But not only that, but we have a Christian community here that would love to help you and support you. So church, may we continue to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel and grow in grace and recognize that all this comes from God as we Walk faithful with our Lord. Let's go to him in prayer. Holy Father, we praise you. We honor you. We recognize we can do nothing without you, Father. We thank you for your gospel, your gospel that continues to remind us where the glory goes and how we are supposed to love and how you are continuing to grow us in more love for you and for others in our lives, Father. We thank you for that, We praise you for what you're doing here at the family church as you are an amazing God. Your your grace continues to pour out on us. Help us, Lord, to work through our real issues like pride and selfishness and arrogance and the hurts maybe we've struggled with in the past. Help us to deal with those in our lives. Help us to be a light to Marco Island. We praise and honor you, and it's through Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing a closing song. We're going to sing hallelujah back to him in response to hearing his word upon her.